adversaries are relentless, and they're only getting smarter, faster, and more sophisticated. Knowing their game is the only way to beat them. That's why we're here. Learn what it takes to protect against even the most sophisticated attacks. Welcome to the Adversary Universe podcast. All right, Adam, you there? Hello? Hey, hello. Hello? Is, is anyone there? On? I think it's on. I don't know. Am I on? Am I even here? I don't know. You've been up all night. I have been up all getting night. Ready, getting ready for some some big discussions. Big discussions. I've been, I was helping my uh, my son with some homework yesterday and into the evening and he's in like AP psychology and he's in like AP chemistry and he's like, well, all these really great classes and we got to this point where like I couldn't answer the question for him. I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. I don't know the answer to that. And you, you know, don't, you didn't take AP psychology. I didn't take AP psych. No, I didn't. You guys try <laughs> using like chat GPT to answer We that did. Thing? Actually, it's so funny you say that. We ended up pulling up chat GPT and we started, I actually have a full breakdown of the history of all of the questions we were asking chat GPT. And then of course I kind of validated some of the responses because the paranoia in me was like, I don't know if I can trust this AI engine. But yeah, it actually was right. It was actually really good. And basically, we were talking about the concept of like statistical significance versus practical significance. And it was just really good to kind of sit down and even show him like, hey, here's how you could use ChatGPT to not cheat or anything like that, but just to kind of guide you and get some answers. And then this is how you would ultimately validate some of the responses and so forth. And I thought it was pretty interesting to, to see that. I think that we're ushering or, or ChatGPT and multiple other AI models are ushering in this, this almost this prosthesis, if you will, right? For how students and I think the world is going to leverage technology for just like everyday tasks from studying to creating study guides to, you know, God knows. It's really, really interesting experience. And I'm like, wow, this is interesting that AI is really going to be at the center of how we start interacting with data, even just for cooking and homework and you name it. But what I think is also interesting is that if I and if we and, you know, my, my kids and, you know, families are starting to leverage AI as kind of the centerpiece for making your life easier, how are the adversaries using AI? Mm, interesting. Right? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Adversary yeah. Universe podcast. This is the Adversary Universe podcast for those of you listening to this random conversation that you stumbled upon so lovely on whatever morning or evening or afternoon it is that you're drinking that wonderful beverage in your head right now. That's right. We know what you're doing. AI, my friends. Is that a good endorsement for AI? No, I think so. Okay. I'll buy it. Okay. Give me three AIs. Give me three AIs, yes. So for those of you listening, welcome to another episode of the Adversary Universe podcast. This is the nexus where geopolitics and cyberspace converge. I like that. That's right? Good, that is a good tagline. Uh, thank you. Thank you. So for those of you who don't know, I'm Christian Rodriguez, and joining me today is none other than Adam Myers, the head of our counter-adversary operations team. And uh, yeah, today we're going to talk about AI and how adversaries are leveraging AI to strengthen their attacks. I have some questions about, does AI make an adversary more lazy? You know, we haven't really seen too much impact from AI yet. And, okay. Um, you know, I've, much like everybody out there, played quite a bit with AI, and I even put together a, like a research-based deck on kind of how you could use AI for good and how you could use AI for bad, right? Mm -hmm. It's a tool. And that tool is, is really going to be used by uh, a human, an adversary, if you will, or, or not an adversary if it's being, I guess, used by a defender. Uh, yep. It could also be used. But I will try to focus more on what the adversaries are doing 
from an offense perspective. And, you know, the TLDR is that they really haven't started using it yet, Mm. but there is so much to talk about here because there's kind of an AI arms race going on between, you know, many countries, but I think at the forefront is the US and China. And the, you know, real question is, how can you use AI from an adversary perspective? Exactly. How could you use it? I know that the FBI has issued a few reports about adversaries leveraging AI on the voice side, which I think is actually pretty, you know, scary, right? The synthesis of someone's voice to make them sound authentic and leverage that in an interesting campaign. And we can talk about that. I know there's some crafting or rather some AI use cases where it ultimately helps with like crafting of more effective, you know, phishing attacks. But I, I really want to dig into that with you, right? Like, what are we actually seeing out there? Well, I think know? it's important too that we address the elephants in the room. And I know Ooh. that there's definitely some more technical listeners out there that are going to be waiting to see if if we hit this point early on. And let's do it now. Okay, let's which do. is that there is a profound difference between what we call AI and the things that people are are hearing about in the news, generative AI, and sure. large language models and things of that nature and machine learning. Mm, and so you, you already mentioned, yeah. you know, synthetic voices. Well, synthetic voices really is machine learning. It's not artificial intelligence in the, in the purest kind of form. What you're doing is taking clips of sound. And mm. I've, I've played with this quite a bit. You can, you can take, for example, Christian Rodriguez's voice here, and I can upload it to any number of, of things that are out there. And with just a couple of seconds, really, of audio recording, and you know, certainly there's enough here in the adversary universe to, to make this happen. I'm not saying I have Christian Rodriguez in a box, but oh, I have man. Christian Rodriguez in a box. And so you, can, <laughs> uh, you can effectively train a machine learning algorithm using that voice data, a couple of seconds, or the more you have, the better it gets, and build a synthetic voice, a text-to-speech voice engine to replace Christian Rodriguez if you wanted to in a podcast. Oh, wow. First of all, that does, that does sound scary. It sounds scary. very uncomfortable. It does uh, sound uncomfortable. a little unsettling because I just feel like this is actually happening on the back end right now. So. And for the provert, it's like $5 <laughs> a month. Oh, my God. Christian's been up since 4 a.m., so right now <laughs> thinking, is this real? Am it's I, am I, I a machine voice? I'm questioning, am I real right now? Am I an AI? What is going I've on? I've done my job, folks. Exactly. Is it real me sitting on a beach sipping Mai Tais right now? This got super weird. <laughs> this got really weird. Link, okay, so. back to ML. Yeah. yeah. By, by the way, thanks for just, just to, as a side note, thanks for clarifying that. Because as I mentioned, when the FBI or any major law enforcement agency or intelligence reporting agency publishes a report with major headlines that talks about like AI voice gen- generators or kind of the new, you know, criminal uh, go-to, right? I think it's very poignant for you to, to highlight the fact that it is an ML engine versus an AI engine. And there's very distinctive differences between the two, right? And, and the capabilities so. and the techniques are, are different, right? So yeah. I think if you break it down, the threat landscape from an AI machine learning algorithmic perspective, you have generative AI and mm-hmm. large language models. And those are useful in a couple of different use cases. The first one being that you can, if you're not a native English speaker, for example, and and this transcends multiple languages now and will continue to expand, but if you're not a native speaker in a particular language, you can use in your language or perhaps in a more disjointed kind of broken Google Translate version to ask the LLM, the generative AI, to produce an email and I've, mm-hmm. I've done this demo a few times where I ask it to create an email for me to invite 
somebody to a event, maybe it's on artificial intelligence, and I want them to be a speaker at my event, and I'd like to leave a link so I could give them the invite to it. And if you craft that just right, you can actually get things like ChatGPT to produce a beautiful phishing email effectively for you, and you just pop in your link and you're, you're off and running. So right off the bat, a threat actor can use this technology to really create compelling content that will really create a, a realistic experience for the target. And that's the first use case, I think, that, that we could talk about. The second one that I think a lot of people are, are also talking about, and I hear this from a lot of boards and C-suites when I talk to them, is can they use something like ChatGPT to create the world's most deadly malware, mm -hmm. right? Like the most yes, effective, nasty malware. Well, I'll give you an example where I've kind of tested the capability there. I asked ChatGPT to write me a Python function to send questions to ChatGPT, right? So I could just do it from the command line. And ChatGPT gave me this really well-written Python function. And I excitedly threw it into my, my terminal to, to run it in Python and quickly found that I didn't have the necessary library to interact with ChatGPT. It was an open AI library that it, it told me I needed to use. And as you look through the, the function, it actually had the, the library. Yeah. It had function calls for, within that library yeah. right, to, oh, to resolve yeah. the API key and to do all of this stuff. And I was like, wow, I, I don't have this library. Let me quickly, you know, add it. I'll, I'll use yeah. pip and uh, add this library and, and get going. And it wouldn't install. And so I do a little bit of research only to find out that that library doesn't exist. This is what we call a hallucination. Oh, wow. It Wait, made so, it it, so it it made up this the existence of this library and on function library. calls. Yeah. It was a it was it was like a pathological lie. Oh, that's so, so interesting. So it said, hey, uh, ideally, this is how you would call. You'd, you'd make a call to this API, but it, no, it wasn't exists. even ideally. It was quite literally the, you know, it, it said, here's the function for you to use. And so it, you know, without going too deeply down, uh, explaining Python on a podcast, you know, <laughs> the fact that it had not just uh, the library wrong, but non-existent functions oh. in that library, it thought through that, which is why I said it's pathological. Wow. That's it. So, so that, that starts to beg the question, like how reliable are these AI models, right? We're talking about these large language models that can help you write code. I've seen so many blogs and I've read so many articles and I've seen so many videos on this concept of someone's like, oh, you know, I quickly used, uh, you know, ChatGPT or this LLM to build me a website and here's all the code and, or I use it to, you know, call these APIs and this is the output it gave me in Python or whatever the language, right? Or Java, whatever. And I've also seen, which I know you want to talk about this. I've seen many, a few interesting articles that say, oh, we, you know, we built some great malware and I've dug deep into this and I realized a lot of the malware that it, and I'm using air quotes here. So if you were, if you were on video, you'd see me using these air quotes. Like, you know, this malware could, you know, circumvent these tools. And it's like that malware doesn't even do anything once you try to execute it, right? Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, that's the thing. You can use this tool to help you, right? And conversely, I've used ChatGPT, for example, to create, you know, like lots of threat intel folks. I get plenty of emails that have, hashes and IPs and domains and different indicators of compromise in them. And usually I like to wake up in the morning and uh, and fire up a, a, a hot beverage and triage all of the emails that I got over the last 12 hours with all of these IOCs to see if there's something I need to be thinking about. Nice. And so I, I said to ChatGPT, you know, I had done this manually myself, but I said, hmm, maybe I could get ChatGPT to do it for me too, just to see if its code was was sufficient. 
I said, meet me a Python function that lets me provide my email address and password. And it reads through all my emails and extracts all of those IOCs and puts it into, you know, a, a JSON format or, or something like that, that I can, I can feed into another system. And it did a fantastic job, right? Mm-hmm. It, it really did. I mean, the code was clean. It was concise. It was easy to read. It was even documented, right? They, they had, you know, when you're coding, you, you want to have some comments in there so that you can understand what the code is doing. Sure, the purpose. Look yep. back and yep. forgot. Yep. And it even commented the code. So oh. that, and it worked right out of the box, right? I didn't really have to change anything there. So it, it, it is effective, but here's the thing. You still need to know how to code. You still need to know how to use that code. And as you move out of something like Python, which is, you know, really kind of scripting, right? You, you can take Python code, copy and paste it, and it'll just process it for you. When you're trying to do this with C or, or C plus or, you know, C sharp or like assembly or something like that, you're going to need to really understand that code and be able to debug it and to build, you still have to build a tool chain to compile it. If it's using third party libraries, you need to be able to understand how to bring those in and get that into your build environments. So it's not as simple as go to chat GPT, write ransomware profit, right? Yeah. Like there's there's yeah. more to it than that. Sure. No, that makes sense. So, I mean, so you're saying that right now we're not really seeing a lot of evidence of the use of AI in in this shift of adversary tradecraft, right? Or even a modification to adversary tradecraft. It's not well, like it's in the center. Let's be real, right? Like GPT-3 is something that I started paying attention to, you know, probably 18 months ago, early 2022, late 2021. And ChatGPT didn't come out until really a few months ago. You know, that was probably, I don't know, May, April, it started really becoming very popular and people yeah. were talking about it. And then they they kind of have a pro version and then they have GPT-4, which yes, is right. kind of the next yeah. generation underlying technology because the original chat GPT was using GPT-3.5. That's right. So, you know, adversaries are going to be a little bit slower to pick that up. And, you know, so let's say they, they got on it really early on. Let's say in May, they really started to dive into it you know, it, it still hasn't manifested in any sort of meaningful way. Mm. But we're going to come back and talk about a couple of other things from a machine learning perspective that they've probably been using for years. And I'll, we'll pivot to that in a second. But let me say that, you know, right now what we've seen, and I think what law enforcement might be kind of raising the flag on is that we've seen chatter in various areas where threat actors are starting to recognize that this is a thing, that it's out there. And, you know, the first step for them is trying to get access to it. So we've seen a lot of chatter where threat actors are talking about getting credentials and access for some things like ChatGPT or other versions of that. Interesting. I, I, you know, I think this is so fascinating because I would assume, especially in the, in the criminal underground, and I hate to sound like a, you know, 1990s Chicago cop on the beat, you know, like these, these underground crime rings, right, you know. But when these, when you're at, when you're understanding or you're 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 monitoring these forums and you know the tradecraft and communications of these different groups, I'm sure that there's several of these groups that are also kind of waiting and you know you know just waiting for the success of a larger group or an, or, or an overarching group to launch a campaign that is leveraging AI in some capacity to the point of success, right? And then the, of course I'm sure that adoption would probably go through the roof given you know yeah, and the, I, I think that's going to be the targeting. Yeah. Right. That's the first area that that's going to happen is targeting. And it's going to be a little bit difficult, I think, for us to really ascertain that that's what's happening. You know, when you think about some of the other things that we worry about with AI and ML, deep fakes. And if you take a look at any of the deep fakes that are out there, there's kind of these telltale 
things you could look for. There's like, like the earlobes are off or the eyes are off. There are these kind of telltale signs, even for a known person, right? I've seen some Vladimir Putin deep fake attempts and you could see like, there's like, oh, like it's weird. Like there's mm-hmm. a, like something mm-hmm. off that you can find. Now, when you're dealing with text that's generated from a generative AI for phishing or targeting purposes, it doesn't necessarily have that kind of fuzzy nuance that you can pick up on. Yeah. So it's a little bit difficult. And I was waiting to slip this in, but I, I saw somebody, I think it was like a meme somebody had on, on, on something. And it was basically student, it was like teachers saying, this is going to like make it real difficult for us to teach these kids. They're going to use this stuff, you know, to your point about yes. your kid with the chat GPT, they're going to use this stuff to cheat and to write their papers. And then somebody else posted a picture where the kid had done that, but they left in the paragraph that said, I'm an, AI. So I don't, you know, and it was kind of like, okay, so still can't account for human stupidity. Yeah, exactly. Which is a whole other episode, right? Right. You know, so I think that the first area we'll see those, those threat actors really leveraging this type of technology will be for that targeting. Now that yeah. said, right, e-crime actors are still pretty low bar when, mm. when you're thinking about sophistication here. Now, okay. the thing that makes me real nervous about AI and generative AI and LLMs is when you think about you know, the OPM breach years ago, China stole everybody's SF-86. If you don't know what a SF-86 is, then I envy you. It is the most intrusive document, you you know, you're going to generally fill out. You have to kind of put all kinds of information about yourself and and your history and where you've lived and who you know, etc. And it is a goldmine of information. And they have stolen, by all accounts, a lot of these SF-86s yeah. in an intrusion that occurred back in, I want to say like 2014, 2015. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. And yes. now think about how do you actually use that when you have so much data that you can't possibly understand a linkage that you could use to exploit Adam and Christian's relationship, for example. But if you have all of that rich data, you can have the AI find it for you. So I think when we look at the the just complete wholesale theft of information that China has been able to run against the West and the U.S. and regional uh, and, and even domestic targets over the last two decades. That information can be very quickly actioned and the AI can find things in there that you wouldn't necessarily know to look for. And when you think about how that might manifest in a dangerous way, there's this, you know, the this concept when you're doing human targeting, where there's really kind of, I'll say four that yes, there's more if you're an Intel nerd, there's plenty of ways to look at this. But for the general public, right, you have money, ideology, compromise, and ego. And if you think about money and compromise as just two examples, that data becomes really a wealth of information where you might find that somebody has a money problem, right? And so now if you're trying to recruit them to do something for you and you have all of this data, you have their healthcare data, you have their their OPM data, you have all of this other data that you've pulled over years and you start using the AI to start pulling those threads together in a way human analysts really couldn't do at scale or at speed. Sure. Now you've got one of the world's best human targeting programs. Oh, wow. Who is more likely to do us a favor, right? If I can coerce this person into... Right. Um, Maybe Christian yeah. has some like secret healthcare problem he doesn't want to talk to anybody about and and it's causing financial issues they can come and say hey christian we know that you have this issue yeah 
and that yeah. it's it's cash straining. But, you know, we'd love to help you out. Why don't you help us out and we'll help you out? Right and now. The answer is no, bad guy. For the he's, record. He's, yeah. he's, he's unswayable. But yeah, not <laughs> everybody has yeah. your resolve. So I think, you know, <laughs> okay. this becomes a huge capability. Yeah. Or, you know, think about some of one of the things you hear a lot of people say is that classified material is a lot of it can be classified only because you have unclassified data like all amalgamated with some context and that's what makes it classified so if a lot of that data is already out there and you know think about like a, a weapon system mm, right there's yeah. they steal all of these contracts that are out there they steal all of these proposals and things that might be unclassified in isolation and they tie that together and now they can use that to replicate some system on the f-22 oh, right yeah. and so you know that's that's the real concern i have with china and ai in particular is that they have stolen so much intellectual property so much data there's so much data that's out there that this really becomes a huge you know way to to, to leverage that data weaponization yeah they can weaponize and it now. scale yeah. yeah that's a that's a very scary thought so a really great addition to maybe a little more context on how much of a growing threat China has been over the past, you know, decade alone, right? When it comes to their cyber abilities. And so this is an interesting one. I think we could talk about that for another hour. Well, but, we, we could talk about this topic for a while, and I'm sure we'll yeah. come back to this as we continue this podcast. But, you know, another area that this becomes really powerful as we think about the upcoming election is with deepfakes, right? Mm -hmm. We already saw an attempt back in 2020 where Iranian threat actors attempted to create this fake Proud Boy video and effectively make it look as if the Proud Boys were supporting President Trump, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you think about how this gets even more complex with a really good AI deepfake type situation, and now you start to use that to create, you know, ChatGPT creates this compelling narrative where you, you ask it, you know, how to incite conservative Americans with X topic, and then feed that directly into some sort of artificial intelligence that creates uh, deep fake content with realistic look and voice and feel. And you dump that into social media. You know, even the smart folks that are able to pick up on that and say, this isn't real. This is yeah. clearly a deep fake. That signals out there. And once that signals out there, it's real hard to muffle it. And, to muffle and that to sentiment. Take, you know, think about yeah. things like QAnon mm. and stuff like that. Once that signals out there and people start kind of churning on it, it's real hard to put that back in the box. Yeah. Okay. So so th this is an interesting point you bring up. So let's talk about th just that concept of these large language models and, and the, the sources that feed into these models and then what that even means from a risk perspective when we're talking about enterprises that are leveraging, you know, ChatGPT. I mean, do you now, let's take the adversary out of this for a quick second. Like, do you think that tools like ChatGPT are a major risk on enterprises, right? In terms of how they use it? It depends on how they use it, right? Yeah. I think that they're, you know, these are things that need to be, and, and I support, right? I support our new AI overlords for sure. But, sure. Um, you know, I, I think that they have utility inside some of these environments, but you have to be careful, right? Like you can't just take it without validating it, right? So sure. if you're using it for code, you know, optimization, great, but that's, you know, you still need to, to verify that it does what it's supposed to and that you didn't introduce some sort of issues. So, sure. you know, or, I think that... What about exposure, though? Like, say, think about someone taking now, like, some source code and dumping it into an LLM to say, okay, hey, show me if there are any bugs in this code. Yeah, uh, that's a and huge now, concern. Yeah, now we're talking about, is that's a data loss event, right? Yeah, data's absolutely. out there. But yeah. and, and, you know, the problem is that I think 
now many, many folks at least will understand that you can't just drop source code on stack space or something like that and stack overflow or whatever it is and just ask the community to help you debug it. That I think yeah. most folks know not to do that, yeah. but they don't necessarily, they're like, oh, it's an algorithm. Like it, it's not going to tell anybody about my code. Which is a very poor an unfortunate misconception. I think so. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. the yeah. lawyers would yeah. certainly yeah. have concern with that and, and privacy information and things like that. So yeah. it is um, it, it is a, a, a very careful, fine line we need to kind of be aware of. And I think, you know, education is a huge part part of that, too, and, and setting the right policy at a, at a corporate level. What is acceptable use of AI and what yeah. is not? These are the discussions that I think a couple of months ago when people were talking about pausing AI development, a lot of it kind of started with that kind of like, how do we have policies in place to make sure that these things are being used safely and effectively and not creating, you know, undue risk by sharing information out that gets consumed by the algorithm and, you know, gets served up to somebody else. I think of it as a really complex, you know, memory leak. You think about an exploit and some exploits are purely, you know, meant to leak information that you could then use to chain into another exploit. And so if you're feeding all this information into an LLM that you don't understand the underlying architecture, or how it works, like what the, the, the tenants are, and could have its own security issue in the future, and now you've leaked all this sensitive information into somebody else's tenant or into a query that they've made or, or a prompt that they've created, yeah. now you've got you know, an unknown information leakage issue. Oh, well, yep. And speaking of exploits, another area where machine learning in particular could be useful is taking a look at crash dumps or in instrumenting a fuzzer. And I think this has been happening for quite some time where, you know, when you think about vulnerability identification and, and testing, there's kind of really two ways to do it to simplify it, right? You could do it artisanally by hand and and you're kind of looking at the code and maybe you're reverse engineering a patch and trying to figure out where the flaw is. And then there's the other approach, which is called fuzzing, where you're just feeding a bunch of data at an input and trying to see if it breaks. And when it breaks, you take a crash dump and then you're able to evaluate that crash dump and use perhaps ML to look for likely exploitable crash dumps that can kind of surface which ones you should look at first. Wow. And then maybe you extend it even further and then you have the generative AI look at the crash dump that's most likely to be exploitable and suggest paths for exploitation. Right? And oh, I think wow. the White House issued or, or DARPA had just issued a, a challenge around that very topic. Oh, wow. This is this is like all fascinating. I think we can again, this is going to open up the door for for so many interesting, I think, new tradecraft and also speed. Right. We, you know, we, we talk a lot about speed here at CrowdStrike when it comes to things like breakout time. But now from a vulnerability perspective, if adversaries have AI at their fingertips and it basically can help them identify you know, ways to exploit code a lot faster. What does that mean now from an attack velocity perspective? Right. We now have what script kitties that are just going to be a lot more on top of how to exploit some code that uh, you may be running in your environment. I mean, that's that's that for me is a bit of a concern too, right? How does AI affect the velocity of the attacks now and, and the volume of attacks, knowing that, you know, more people are going to get access to these models that could ultimately help them with more nefarious ways to, to understand things like, you know, a crash dump, for example. Well, that's currently the unknown. And yeah. I think, you know, we've got Kind of two two things that we can kind of look at here. The first is that we can look at the chatter. We could see what they're saying, what the what the criminals and kind of the 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 bad guys that we have visibility into are yeah. saying. 
we can look at the signal coming off of the attacks and the intrusions that we see, I think that's going to be real difficult to to ascertain because it doesn't necessarily have that kind of fuzziness. And there's also the you know nation state leveraging AI for powerful and automated and quick processing of stolen data to kind of operationalize it and, and figure out what it all means and to draw those links together that aren't necessarily well known. And then you know, there's everything in between. So yeah. you have, you know, we talked about, can it be used as a tool to augment exploit development? Could it be yeah. used as a tool for augmenting some aspect of specific malware functionality? Could you use it for creating really complex and difficult to identify PowerShell scripts? Could you use it to automate the processing of, of stolen data? So there's so many ways that this can be leveraged. And I think, you know, Pandora's box is open, it's out there, and we have to really figure out not just how to identify it, but how to disrupt and to to, to make it difficult to work. You know, one of the things that that I, I think we've been seeing for a while is this kind of battle at the machine learning level. You know, CrowdStrike, when we first launched, one of the, the first things that, that we had was this machine learning algorithm that we've created. And there's several different models that we've created that you can, you can use to classify something as good or bad. And when we look at those models and, and trying to figure out if something is good or bad, now the adversary may try to figure out what can we do to fake out that algorithm, mm-hmm. right? And this is adversarial. AI or adversarial machine learning where, you know, I give you a little bit more of a realistic example. When you walk around and you look at all of these cameras all over the place, I live in in the DC area. You can't go five feet without being on a camera somewhere. And cameras are just taking, you know, optical images of what's going on in the environment. But if you apply machine learning to that, now you can start to do some, some different unique things. You could find license plates. You can identify people's faces. You can use machine learning to really start to train and and identify things and automate behaviors. You know, one thing that I've played a lot with is an open source project called Frigate, where you could train it with a, a corpus of data and say, this is cars, find cars. This is people, find people. And, you know, now think about if I have a citywide net of cameras that I could pull into. Now we're getting like super deep state, you know, Minority report. Enemy of the state yeah. style, right? But yeah. like, like if I have a picture, if I know Christian Rodriguez and I could follow you as you walk from one side of the city to the other side and I know who you talk to and I know everything that you bought and I know everything that you, you interacted with. Now, you know, think about what that means from an espionage perspective, mm-hmm. right? Like it's real hard to, to do anything in a, in a private and non-disclosed way, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I, I can just say like, Hey, who's this guy? I don't know this guy. This is target one. Let's follow him and see where he goes. So one of the concepts of adversarial AI too, is like, can I take, you know, like a mole, like put a mole on my face that is not just a mole, but it is specifically structured in a way that breaks that model. So I look like a dog or I look like a car and it gets kind of passed off as an error. Right. That's kind of where we start thinking about how do we get into this this arms race now, this cat and mouse game where, you know, the good guys are using AI and ML for one purpose and the bad guys are kind of using that AI ML against them. This is this is the 4D chess that only comes after four cups of coffee. This is this is fascinating because I think we're, we're it's going to be AI versus AI warfare, right? At the end of the day, right? 
And I think, you know, you mentioned an example earlier about this season of BattleBots is going to be lit. Exactly. We're just basically, it's just going to be Westworld. And so if you think about even just your example on the the, the college uh, professor meme, right, where, where the student turns into paperwork, there was talks at some point of some company that built an AI model to detect whether or not papers were written by AI, right? So it's almost like AI versus AI. I don't know how what the efficacy was. I think it was roughly 80 to 90% true positive rate on the detection capabilities of identifying a paper that was written by some type of, you know, LLM. But I could foresee that even working its way into the larger enterprise space, right? Where are there going to be AI models or, you know, models that look for the likelihood of a phishing attack given some of the verbiage? Are there going to be models that look for, you know, analyzing additional code? And I mean, there's just, I think to your point, you, you, you just described a, you know, a part of the Minority Report, if you've ever seen that movie with Tom Cruise, right? where that facial recognition or instant facial recognition and just, you know, physical attribute type of detection or figuring out ways to circumvent that detection, right? We're probably a lot closer to that becoming a reality than anything, right? And so- um, I think we're there. We're there at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned Frigate. So I I ran that on some cameras and I I had them in front of my house and I I trained it to look for cars and people and and weapons and a number of different things. And, you know, I got an alert one day about a car and I look over and it's my three-year-old in his, in his ride on F-150. Like a power wheel? Like, like a power Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> like yes, that is a car. Yeah. But it's not. I had him looking for cars. I don't care about a three-year-old in a plastic truck. So it is a, um, you know, it, it is a really interesting time to be looking at this stuff. And it's, you know, that's, I think, really the, the the best part about this this whole podcast is that we could have this discussion and these are things that I can't really communicate in, in a blog post or in you know some sort of a marketing message but I think we can talk about these things and start to explore what some of the ins and outs are and why it's such a complex area and something that you know everybody should be thinking about nice I love this I love this we have so much more to talk about this you know we are also asking our listeners and our subscribers to send us some feedback on some AI use cases that you've seen within your enterprise or maybe some things that you think are creative that have been applicable and are applicable to your personal life we would love to hear some of those stories we would love to reference those on a follow-up episode and we'll have many of these episodes on AI you know as we get closer to some interesting releases that talks about how CrowdStrike is going to and has been using AI internally for our IOA patterns which are indicators of attack and then also how Charlotte AI is making a big splash when it comes to how our customers can can leverage some you know, their data to, to make better decisions on how to address systems that have high risk. And there's so many additional use cases we can talk to on that topic. So, but yeah, this has been fantastic, Adam. I know that we, this is a very, I think it's very enlightening in the grand scheme of things. So I think I'm going to reach out to the real Christian and give him back the mic, call him from the beach. Nothing but no, but I think is, this is Nothing great. is yeah. real. Nothing is real anymore. So Adam, this is fantastic. Thank you again. I think this is, is a really you know, fascinating topic that isn't going to go away anytime soon. We are going to embrace it. And again, we welcome questions from our listeners. So any parting words for our podcast followers and listeners on the topic of, topic of AI? I don't have any parting words, but I would look forward to hearing any questions or comments or things Definitely. that you'd like us to talk about with regard to this topic. It's an emerging topic and one that I think will be paying close attention to so you know let us know and and don't forget to smash that like button and subscribe <laughs> that's right yeah thank you so much this is the adversary universe podcast with adam myers christian rodriguez we'll see you guys on the next episode thanks so much for listening to this episode if you like what you're hearing subscribe to our podcast and head over to crowdstrike.com forward slash adversaries to learn more about the many bad guys we track 
Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on the Adversary Universe Podcast. This is the Adversary Universe Podcast.